we continue today with our summer series, that midsummer monsters, those monsters that continue to plague us, that sneak up upon us, that we have to deal with day in and day out. And we've talked about a lot of them so far. We, we talked about fear last week. We've talked about guilt. And several weeks ago, we talked about anger. And today, we talk about one of those monsters that plagues each and every one of us at some time or the other when we talk about the monster of loneliness, loneliness. And as I start today, as I get ready to read the scripture, I need to share with you just very, very quickly that our hymn of praise today, and can it be that I should gain, is near and dear, I'd have to say probably not only to my heart, but to Sean's heart as well. It is a hymn that we sing with gusto at Asbury Theological Seminary. It was the first one that I ever sang, I'm sure the same thing with him during our initial chapel service, and I can't begin to tell you what it's like to have all those seminarians together and to lift up your voices in that, and can it be him. It is something certainly touching, something where you really do feel a part of a greater fellowship, where loneliness doesn't necessarily interact or intercede. I'd like to read to you today from Paul's letter to the church at Rome, starting there in the 8th chapter and the 31st verse. You can follow it on the screen. You can follow it in your Bibles. You can listen to my words. But this is what Paul writes. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his only son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The single most remote inhabited place in the world is Tristan de Cunha. Tristan de Cunha. It's an archipelago in a small volcanic chain of islands in the southern Atlantic Ocean. The nearest land to these islands is South Africa, about 1,700 miles away. The coast of South America is about 2,000 miles in the other direction. The island is only about seven miles long, total population of about 300 people, most of them descended from the original settlers who came to the island as farmers 
and as craft makers. Now, the island's rocky geography in and of itself makes building an airstrip absolutely impossible. So the only way to get there, unless you are a very, very good swimmer, is by boat. And if you go by boat, it takes you six days. Whether you go from South Africa or whether you go from South America, it's about a six-day journey. Why, it's easier to get to the North Pole than it is this archipelago of volcanic islands. Geographically speaking, you might say that this is the most isolated place on earth. But I would venture to tell you that the most isolated place on earth is actually the heart of a lonely person. And you don't have to look too far to find a lonely person. I read a story about five years ago when I was prepping for another sermon about police who had found the body of a man mummified sitting in his chair in front of a TV. And the doctors determined that he had been dead for over four years. He was only 51 years old and no one had reported him missing. He lived in the attic of an apartment. It was an unoccupied building. And his body was found by a real estate dealer who was getting ready to raise that building and build something else. The man was unemployed, and we are told that he died of natural causes. And the owner had declared that building non-occupiable, but nobody ever responded to that non-occupancy. The electricity had been turned off. The water had been turned off. And nobody had ever bothered to check the apartments until they got ready to destroy the building. And here was a man who had been dead four years, and not one single other person knew about it. People are indeed lonely. Thomas Wolfe, one of our greatest novelists, says loneliness, far from being a rare or a curious phenomenon, is actually a central and inevitable fact of human existence. A central and inevitable fact of our existence as human beings. Last night, 22% of Americans ate alone. Recent Gallup poll suggests that four to five Americans out of 10 have feelings of loneliness. 1950, if you have any connection with the 1950s, some of you do, some of you don't, 1950, the poll suggested about 2 to 3% of American people said they felt lonely and they didn't have a friend. 2, 3%. If you take the same poll about two years ago here in the United States, we're up to almost 31%. Either don't have a friend or feel lonely. That's almost a third of our population do not feel like they belong. Money cannot insure against it. Position cannot rise above it. And power cannot stand before it. It is what it is. So what do we do? I think the first thing we need to do is we have to define this thing called loneliness, this monster of loneliness. What is it? Well, you know, there's a difference between being alone and being lonely. I hope you understand that. You can be alone without being lonely. As a matter of fact, I think there are times when you need to be alone. I don't think you can have a a solid relationship with God unless you spend time alone with him. 
listening and praying and opening to his word and his will in your life. But you can also be lonely without being alone. You can be in a crowd of thousands of people and still feel very, very lonely. Henry David Thoreau once said, a city is a place where hundreds of people are lonely together. I love that. A city is a place where hundreds, thousands of people are lonely together. You can be in a crowd of thousands of people and still feel totally lonely. Do you realize that we have more people in the United States of America today, population-wise, more people than the entire world had 2,000 years ago when Christ walked it? More people in the U.S. today than across the entire globe 2,000 years ago, and yet we have loneliness in such dynamic proportions. And if loneliness could be simply cured by the presence of other people, well, there wouldn't be any loneliness at all. I mean, look at all your wonderful faces staring at me. I wouldn't feel alone at all, would I? But the reason we have loneliness is not because we have all these wonderful faces. It's not the absence of faces. It's the absence of fellowship. The absence of fellowship. We can look at each other all day long, but if there's no fellowship, if there's no warmth, if there's no love, then we can feel very, very lonely. Loneliness doesn't come from being alone. It comes from feeling alone. Now, if you feel like you're facing life alone, if you feel like you're facing death alone, If you feel like you're facing a particular disease alone, or perhaps you're even facing health alone, then it can be a very deafening sound in your life. It can be something that just works itself up in you day in and day out. It's like crawling into bed at night, only half a bed, because your spouse has left you. Or it can be an empty house because all the children have left And you have what's known as empty nester syndrome. Or it can be a mailbox that's empty simply because nobody writes you anymore. Or a phone that is silent simply because nobody calls you anymore. Or maybe a doorbell that never rings because no one ever visits you anymore. And there's no feeling quite like it. And I think every last one of us have experienced it. We all want to know that we're loved by somebody. We all need to know that we are affirmed and lifted up. Sigmund Freud told a story once about a schoolboy that was expelled from class, sent outside, and instead of going home, he took a a bunch of rocks, a bunch of pebbles in his hand, and he stood outside the classroom window and threw it at the window. Of course, needless to say, he disturbed the teacher and the class and everything else, and he kept doing that until the principal came out. And said, young man, I thought you were expelled from this school. The young man said, yes, I was. Well, then why are you standing here throwing pebbles at the classroom window? It's because I want people to know that I'm still here. Don't we want someone to know that we're still here? Don't we all carry pebbles in our pockets that we want to throw because we desperately want someone to know that we're still here? 
You know, the reason why loneliness is so horrible to us is that God made us for relationship. From the very beginning, we have been in relationship with him and with each other. And that's something we can't discount. When he put Adam in the garden, everything was perfect. Everything was great until what? He realized that it is not good for a man to be alone and creates his partner. The garden was perfect until God found that it was not good and decided that he would fix loneliness once and for all by adding someone to be in relationship. Do you realize that 80% of the people that come to seek psychiatric help, got it, do so because they have feelings of loneliness. They have feelings of being displaced. They have feelings of not belonging. Many people even become suicidal. One of the greatest problems we have with our young people these days is because they are surrounded by so many people and yet they feel alone. I haven't been inside Boyle High School or Danville High School recently, but I'm sure they're loaded with people. And yet we have teenagers that turn to drugs or turn to alcohol because even amidst all those people, they feel absolutely alone or they can't find a friend or they can't find somebody to be with them. So loneliness is extremely real. That's what defines it. But if we're ever going to battle this monster, we've got to find out why we're lonely. Why are we lonely? What brings loneliness upon us? Do you remember that prominent commercial series? It's been several years ago by a telephone company. Reach out and touch someone. Touch someone. So you can stay connected. So maybe you don't feel lonely. Reach out and touch someone. How about the beer commercials on TV? I know, nobody ever watches the beer commercials on TV. But there's one for Corona I've watched several times because it's amazing. All the kids are there, crammed into the elevator, just dancing away, drinking beer up there on top of the roof, drinking beer. What they're saying is if you don't want to be alone, drink our beer. You'll never be alone. I don't fall to that advertising, but I think you need to know that it actually exists. One of the greatest social media machines that we have, Facebook, was created in a Harvard dorm room to get away from the loneliness of dorm life and try to connect people back together. Now, it's far, grown far outside those bounds, but that's the reason why it was created initially. Lonely people wander all over society looking for someone who can help them cure their loneliness, help them out of their loneliness. You know, it's a sad thing to feel lonely. It's sadder still to be helpless in trying to cure it, trying to deal with it. There are three different kinds of loneliness, we're told by the researchers. Transient, situational, and chronic. Transient, situational, and chronic. Now, situation, or transient loneliness lasts a couple of minutes, maybe a couple hours. We all experience transient loneliness. It's like when you go to Kroger and you stand in the express line behind someone who has over 15 items in their cart, right? You get a little transient loneliness there. How about when you go to the doctor's office or the dental? You sit out there in the waiting room, all those people around you, don't you kind of feel lonely out there, waiting, worrying what's going to happen? How about going to DMV and getting your car registered, standing in that long line? But you can feel lonely 
even there. It's transient. It doesn't last long. It moves on. So all of us have transient loneliness. We all experience that. How about situational loneliness? That's when a particular situation in our life grabs hold of us. For example, some people are lonely because their spouse passes away. Or maybe your best friend moves away. Or perhaps you have to move to a new geographical location and you don't know a soul. Welcome to Sean's world and my world as pastors appointed in the United Methodist Church. Boy, do we have an opportunity for you. We're going to send you to... And they never ask us whether we know anybody there. We don't know anybody there nine times out of ten. So we can experience some situational loneliness. We're going to a new place with new people, new culture, new society. If you've ever been deserted by someone that you thought loved you or cared for you, then you've experienced situational loneliness. Transient, situational. Last one's chronic. Chronic loneliness. That's the worst state of all. It's where people almost become so preoccupied with themselves that they simply want to be lonely. That's who and what they are. Some people are lonely because that's their decision. They want to be lonely. And we even have a name for these kind of people. What do we call them? Loners. Loners. They want to be by themselves. Now, let's be honest. I'm sure that there are people that are are so self-centered so wrapped up with themselves, so in love with themselves that people can't stand to be around them. So we're going to let you be lonely. Those are loners. And in fact, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why online dating and chat rooms and texting and email are so popular in our society. Because we can go home to the loneliness of our bedroom and turn on the light and we can start tapping on the keyboard and talk to anybody we want to rather anonymously. Why we can say things on that keyboard that we would never say face to face to somebody else. Isn't that true? Because we feel like we're protected there in the loneliness of our little bedroom and we could just wallow in our loneliness, say and do almost anything we want to. That's a chronic loneliness. But it's not the only chronic loneliness. You've heard the phrase, it's lonely at the top. Peter Drucker, who is probably America's guru in business management, has been for many, many years, wrote these words. He said, there are four toughest jobs in America. The four toughest jobs in America. You ready? Number one, president of the United States. Number two, president of a major university. Number three, chief administrator of a large hospital. And number four, you ready for it? Senior pastor of a large church. And what do they all have in common, Peter Drucker says? Loneliness. It's lonely at the top. In November of 2005, I was informed by my DS, that I was going to move from my three-point charge in Clarkson, Kentucky, and be appointed to Covington Trinity in Latonia, Kentucky, up north. Laurie and I were leaving three wonderful churches, three churches that we had fallen in love with, we loved the people with, we'd worked very hard with, to go up north to a place called Latonia to pastor a church who had lost their pastor. 
Of course, after we got there, it was like learning from Paul Harvey. We began to understand the rest of the story. It had been a difficult appointment for previous pastor Ted Shipp. Ted had been appointed to Trinity in June of 2003, but his wife decided that she no longer wanted to be a pastor's wife. So she kept the children, and they lived in Bowling Green, Kentucky, while Ted accepted the appointment to Trinity Covington. And the couple soon divorced. And Ted saw the children less and less and less and ministered to a rather difficult church more and more and more. He died in the parsonage in September of 2005 on the couch in the living room, supposedly of a heart attack, but I struggle sometimes and wonder if it wasn't the result of a broken heart besieged by loneliness. You may ask, how do I know all of this? Well, number one, I served that church for four and a half years. And number two, even though I knew she wasn't going to be here today, one of my congregants, Maggie, is here with me today, and she remembers. Don't you, Maggie? I love you. I love you. It's lonely at the top. It's lonely at the top, and we all have to deal with it. So how do we defeat this monster of loneliness. We know kind of what it is. We define it. We kind of know why we get into it. How do we defeat it? Loneliness is that void, that vacuum that every soul feels at one time or the other. Sometimes when you ask, why am I so lonely? Do you also ask, where is God? Where is God in the midst of my loneliness? And of course, I will always tell you, God is right there. He's always been right beside you. Whether you feel him or not, he's there. I believe that's why I cherish this scripture from Paul's letter to the church at Rome, because it builds me up with such an uplifting spirit that nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love that is God. He is always there. He is always a part of our lives. God knows what loneliness is, doesn't he? Hasn't he experienced that through his son, Jesus Christ, 40 days out in the wilderness, Didn't Jesus experience a certain degree of loneliness? And in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus hungered for the support of his disciples, he was there praying, and they were there sleeping. And as the night led in today, soon they would deny him, and soon they would betray him, and he would have the ultimate loneliness of death on the cross. My God... My God, why have you forsaken me? God knows what loneliness is. The God who walks with us knows what loneliness is. He understands what loneliness is, and he wants to be, for the, he wants to be there for us in our loneliness. And if you're a child of God today, the first and foremost thing I'll tell you is that you're never alone. Even when you feel alone, even when you feel lonely, you're not alone. You have the permanent company of God in all things. You enjoy that unbroken fellowship with God. What does he say at the end of Matthew? Lo, I am with you always. Always. So that's the first thing I would tell you about combating loneliness. But I won't leave it there. That's too easy for you. 
Just say, yeah, God's there. Get on your knees. Pray. There's a second thing. And I'm wondering whether God doesn't use our loneliness as a way who we can serve his kingdom. That we can find a way outside of ourselves to help those around us to combat our loneliness by reaching out to those who are suffering the same. If you're lonely, find someone else who is lonelier than you are and serve them and love them and support them. I wonder if God's not using our loneliness so that we might be forced to do that. I want to tell you something, no matter, no matter how much you hurt, no matter how lonely you feel, there is someone else in this church or outside this church who hurts more than you do, who's lonelier than you are. Trust me in that. You're not at the bottom of the barrel. No matter who you are, no matter how lonely you feel, there's someone who needs your help. If you're lonely, find someone else who's lonely, befriend them and help them out. Try to cure their loneliness, and in the process you'll find that you cure your loneliness. Let me tell you a story. A young man named Bill, one day walking home from school, loaded down by a bunch of books and a, and a baseball bat and a mitt. He was walking down the sidewalk and tripped on the concrete, and all the stuff went all over. He spilled all of his stuff. And there was another young student about 50 paces behind him. He didn't know him, David. David. And David ran up and helped Bill pick up all of his stuff. And then not only put some in his arms, but he carried some. And they went back to Bill's house. And sure enough, they they kind of struck up a friendship. They sat down and watched a little TV. Had a Coke. Had a snack. Became great friends. Matter of fact, such great friends that for the next three years in high school, they were almost inseparable. They enjoyed being with each other. They did all sorts of things together. They even went out and double dated together. They were that close. And then the day came when they graduated. And Bill came up to David graduation night before they they went out there to receive their diplomas. And he said, "I, I need to tell you something, Dave. Said, so you remember that day I was walking home from school and I, I dropped all my books and all my stuff there on the ground? Have you ever wondered why? Why I was carrying all that stuff home that day? I, I'd cleaned out my locker, Dave. I was going to go home to kill myself. You know, life didn't really have meaning for me, I didn't have any friends. I was really lonely. So I decided I was going to take some sleeping pills, and I was just, I was going to end it all. I was ready just to kill myself. But then, Dave, you showed up. You helped me pick up my books. And in the process, you picked up my life. You saved my life. Just by being a friend. You can defeat your loneliness by helping someone else defeat theirs. When you come face to face with this monster of loneliness, remember there are hundreds of thousands of people out there that are just as lonely as you are and some 
a lot lonelier. If you try to reach out and comfort someone in their loneliness, you might just find that you are no longer quite as lonely. And we've got to remember to break out of the chains of this monster of loneliness. We need him and we need each other. We need each other. We were created for relationship, folks. From the very beginning, we were created for relationship with God and with each other. And if we really took that responsibility seriously, there would be no loneliness. Or at least there would be no loneliness that we couldn't share with someone. That someone wouldn't be there to hug us and to love us and to understand us. Someone who genuinely cares. Can you be that someone? We've got the real power to deal with loneliness. First and foremost, because we know God is there and nothing can separate us from his love. And I would hope as a church, because we're there for each other. And I would pray that nothing can separate us from each other in the love of Jesus Christ. There's no reason for any of us to be lonely. And if we are, there's no reason why somebody else can't be there for you in the midst of your loneliness. Dag Dag Hammerskull, youngest person to ever hold the position of Secretary General of the United Nations, probably said it best before his unexpected death. He wrote these words. He says, pray that your loneliness may spur you into finding something to live for and something even greater to die for. Would you bow your heads with me?